UK Motor Talk. Hello, welcome to UK Motor Talk. I am Dave and I am here with Jim. Hello. And we're initially going to have a bit of a chat about Formula One. How's it going, Jim? We are indeed. Not uh, not too bad. It's been, uh, yeah, Formula One is back with a bang? No, whimper. Some bangs, some fireworks, but there was a di- high points and low points. It was a bit of a mixed bag of a weekend, really, wasn't it, depending on uh, on what garage you were in. But it was uh, overall, it was, it was enjoyable and, and good to see the cars all back on track together and having a good scrap and it's uh, it's it's nothing else if not a cracking circuit and the uh, the lighting the fact it's all at night and the skid blocks bouncing around and all the sparks everywhere is it's certainly dramatic it it manages to um so I think evoke memories of you know Mansell and PK side by side down the hangar straight at Silverstone or Adelaide and the Sparks and things like that. it just it just makes it look more dramatic. So it's a yeah a good a good spectacle a good opening race. The Sparks certainly do make it, don't they? That's one of the things apart from the um, the noise of Formula One of yore. When I was uh, still a major fan of it, I I do remember the Sparks and the racket being the major attractions. To be honest, but um, having watched back some of the highlights of of the race. I must confess, I didn't watch it live. It did look like it was a wee bit processional. You know, normal service resumed, Red Bull 1 and 2. Sorry, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, but, you know, a few days have <laughs> passed. So, you know, uh, but a very good day in the office for a man who hasn't been on the podium for a little while, Fernando Alonso, in under a new banner, driving for Aston Martin. And third, he did a remarkable job from what I could see, especially given what happened at the beginning. He did a wonderful job because I had a few quid on him to get a podium. I had a few quid on him to get a win, but a few more quid on him to get a podium. So I was really rather chuffed with that. So he's uh, he's earned me some money at the weekend, as well as earning himself a few quid or two, actually driving. And then in, in a funny twist of fate, just as a slight aside from F1, more on the road car side. Alonso getting a podium for Aston Martin, as you rightly say, his uh, his latest team. I think any day now is the official release of the Alpine A110 Fernando Alonso edition. So that's just slightly awkward timing for, uh, for when that comes out. So it'll, it'll be one of those wonderful things. It'll be getting royalty checks off that for a uh, quite a few years to come, I would have thought. Or actually, probably a few months, because I think everybody will snap those up. But uh, yeah, so it's, it's always nice if you're getting a, a paycheck from a former employer as well as a current one. <laughs> as I was going to say, it's a little bit more exciting than the uh, the Michael Schumacher Seicento Sporting Edition. Slightly better credentials this one, the Alpine, isn't it? It's a bit more bit bit more feisty than a than a one liter or one point one liter Cinquecento in drag. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think you're uh, you're possibly right on that one. But it was a uh, yeah, it was it was just nice to see. I mean, that if if nothing else, it it makes me feel better in that Fernando is. Is slightly older than me, so there's hope for me yet, I suppose, isn't there? It just it just shows that the uh, a few of the whippersnappers that we've had recently, and you know, Nick DeVries before he got the um, the go ahead Monza last year and made his full time debut this year was almost seen as oh well he's a bit too old and he's a bit over the hill and he's you know on the twelve and a half as opposed to all the others that are twelve, but he's he's what in his mid twenties. It does show that form is temporary, but Fernando's never really had a dip in form. But class is permanent. He's he's lost none of his speed. But what what is staggering is he's lost none of the hunger. He's he was out there scrapping and fighting, exactly like he was when when he first started. And 
To put it into perspective, Alonso has had a longer career in Formula One than Oscar Piastri has been alive. <laughs> so going back to uh, to Mike's comment that he's old enough to be the dad of somebody that we work with, it's you know, Alonso is is literally old enough to be Oscar's dad, but he's yeah, a career that's longer than most people's lifetimes. It it, it just shows the class of the guy. It's phenomenal. It's a bit of a scary thought, that really, isn't it? I mean, it's his ninety ninth podium. I understand, and I'm sure this will be. The first of a few this year. I'll probably live to regret saying that. But, um, you know, third step, there's only two others you can go for. And I'm sure, given what I've seen him do in the race, he's going to be very hungry, to use your term, for the the next two steps up. And I would not bet against him making it. Aston Martin have really come right to the fore, haven't they? I mean, with a sixth, the Lance Stroll, that's pretty good for the first outing, I'd say. Well, I think he, he did especially well, bearing in mind he had a broken toe, two broken wrists, a broken arm, a broken finger, a bro- He's, he had all sorts up with him because he'd fallen off his bike and smashed himself to pieces. And he was, you know, hobbling around and needed help getting out of the car. For uh, I, I, I don't think um, if uh, if anything had gone wrong, he would have not got out of the car in a hurry. I think the only reason he was being helped out was just to make it more comfortable. But having to adjust his hand position in a couple of corners and, and actually couldn't take the line that he wanted to in turn one and turn two because of, of wrist mobility issues. But seemed to, uh, to cope remarkably well, despite uh, very, very, very nit. Well, he, he bumped in to Fernando on the first lap and uh, very I mean really really lucky not to uh, to at least cause a right rear puncture let alone some suspension damage so it's a it's a quick car the Aston Martin but it's certainly tough as well which shows they've um, they can probably lose a, a little bit of weight out of the car if it's that tough it can take that much of a knock it's which way do you go with it? Do you make it a bit lighter, to drill a few more holes in it and make it a little bit quicker, but maybe not quite so robust? But it's uh, maybe have, I would say, one uh, one approach for one driver and a different approach for the other one. But when the other one clatters into the first driver, then you need to make them both robust. Maybe they knew. Maybe maybe they could see that coming. So you thought, well, as long as he doesn't take him out out, you know, take him out, just don't take him out out, and then everything will be all right. Well, he's obviously accident prone, as you alluded. I mean, if he was carrying all those injuries, he'd probably think, yeah, let's beef it up a little bit, shall we, just in case. I mean, there was talk, wasn't there, that uh, Mr. Stroll was going to be replaced with a former incumbent, uh, Mr. Vettel, who was going to be uh, getting back out of his bath chair at some point to get back into the car. But uh, as it turned out, that proved not to be necessary. Yeah, I think there was uh, the, many rumours of Sebastian coming back and, uh, oh, actually, just to see Vettel and Alonso in the same team would have been good, but then kind of makes a mockery of the, the young driver, reserve driver role, etc. It, uh, it would have passed over Van Dorn yet again and uh, Drugovic, um, well, he had a, a few practice sessions in the car, didn't he? So we, or test sessions, so he could get up to speed in it. So it would have uh, would have been interesting to see how he got on. But yeah, I think whether we do see Vettel's 300 race at any point this year we'll uh, we'll wait and see him there's still the dreaded covid word floating around and every now and again that seems to take somebody out and shuffle things up a bit so whether the requirements are quite there to not attend the race or if you feel all right you're all right but then of course different countries will have different rules so you might have it and then be totally all right to you know 
go to work at Silverstone, but not go to work in uh, in France or somewhere like that. I'm not uh, not quite sure. So, yeah, we shall uh, we shall see. But it was a slightly predictably poor weekend for McLaren. I think just to touch on them, it was a a tough qualifying session for Oscar Piastri. Kind of to be expected, I think, given the car and the quirks that it has to drive. I mean, slightly worrying for McLaren that all those quirks seem to have carried over from last year into this year. But Lando Norris doing a, a predictably Lando Norris job to uh, to drag it into Q2 and uh, and line up 11th, I think he was. But yeah, tough debut weekend for Piastri. He seemed to be uh, having the second McLaren car struggles. And then the, the race didn't really go much better for them either, did it? I mean, if we're, we're chatting about it in terms of uh, a highlight from Aston Martin... Um, and then normally if you do a race rundown, do you do it in reverse order? And oh, well, that, that reverse order is McLaren. I mean, they were fairly well welded to the back, weren't they? Which is um, a shame. I'm not not quite sure after all the uh, the investment and infrastructure and everything that's going in there. But I think they're, they're still using Toyota's old wind tunnel and just don't seem to be able to, to get on top of the, the weird DNA that car has. Well, as I understood it, McLaren have gone down a certain route with the aerodynamics in terms of the um, porpoising and how they sort of get around that and the new regulations that have come in, which obviously literally raised the car up a little bit. I believe McLaren went a different direction to most of the rest of the field, or indeed all of the rest of the field, and as a result, their fix for the first race wasn't ready, so now they're hoping that it's going to be a bit better next time out. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the B-spec or or the big upgrade is due around about similar time. Fairly early on in the weekend, they were saying, yeah, actually, if we could make that a little bit quicker, that would uh, <laughs> really, really be handy. It's... Um... Uh, but if if you look at how McLaren improved as the year went on last year, though, and the same for Mercedes, and we'll get on to them in a minute, then the uh, the, the potential for improvement is there. But I think that there just seems to be something in their overall concept that's that's not quite right. And actually, I think we can probably talk about Mercedes in the same breath. Really, there's uh, there's obviously a pace difference with uh, Lewis and George finishing fifth and seventh and having some reasonable race pace about them not not setting the world alight but i think they if if you look at it in percentage terms they've certainly dropped further away from uh, from red bull than they were last year uh, but their their development curve all the way through the season was was very very steep to the point where it was a race winning car towards the end of the season um slightly fortuitous slightly track specific but uh, still a race winning car and Bahrain is an outlier so you know one swallow or whatever the opposite of a swallow does not a summer make um so one crow does not a bad season make I don't know, I'm sure there's a, a proper metaphor in there somewhere um so it's it's not not to get carried away but they uh both Mercedes and McLaren just their their whole ethos of approaching a ground effect car just doesn't seem to work. I think it was McLaren said they'd missed uh, their targets, and then actually said, "Oh no, we've we've hit most of the targets, but we've we've missed one target, which is uh, aerodynamic efficiency and downforce." It's like that's that's pretty important, you know. Out out of all the targets that you want to hit, then you know, aero probably one of them, mechanical grip the other one, the engine. Well, they buy that in, so they can't do a lot about that. So there's really only two things they have to really set a target and that's high speed aero grip and low speed mechanical grip and yeah they've they've missed a big chunk of it the aerodynamics obviously changed dramatically last year and as i mentioned they've 
tweaked the regs a little bit this year in order to try and get over this porpoising, which is the sort of the nodding up and down of the cars, which is caused by the, the stalling of the aero with Grand Effect cars. You know, we're going back to the sort of seventies and eighties again here, aren't we? But who do you think has really? I mean, obviously Red Bull are at the front of the pack, so they seem to have sort of got to grips with the aero better than anyone else and you'd probably have to say there's a reason for that and his name ends in newey doesn't it uh yeah i mean it's, i've been watching um clarkson's farm watching the second season of that and and i always think the um his uh his advisor guy what's his name oh um, charlie oh charlie yeah I do, he's, he's just like the farming adrian newey because he looks a little bit like him yep. he's just got that that general way about him and it's that ability he has and they, they, they've just nailed the concept but of course it's what if you're going to pick a subject or a section you know an area of a subject that adrian newey knows more about than pretty much anybody else it would be ground effect because that's what he did is thesis and dissertation in and and that's what he did when he first started so it's a oh hang on i remember all this from school so he dug out all his old homework and um just sort of did that and and that was it off he's gone but they've i mean red bull they've they've just stretched their advantage over the rest of the field you know uh alonso uh cracking drive though it was was what, 38 seconds off uh off verstappen at the end swashbuckling performance and got got the ferrari on pure pace so is is the aston martin the second quickest car it's it's certainly i mean it was uh it was a bit further back in qualifying i was hoping he'd be a bit further up but he didn't seem too upset with uh with qualifying behind the ferraris because they knew they had the race pace and that was the thing in in pre-season testing it wasn't their headline pace i think you know they were only no 16th and 18th on the the overall timesheet something like that but when you looked at their long run pace that's where they had the advantage but science never really seemed to get the car on the same level as leclerc over the weekend uh, something we saw from Carlos last year, and as the season went on, he improved as well, or the car came towards him, or he got used to it. But not a, uh, a good opening weekend for Fred Vasseur or Charles Leclerc, in particular. I mean, um, well, the mirror opposite of last year actually started with uh, with a win, and then reliability issues crept in. This this seems to be the other way round. So, again, maybe this is the uh, the mirror opposite of last season, and Ferrari will uh, will improve from here. But uh, yeah, not not good to start with a uh, an engine failure like that so early into the season. So maybe a power unit out of the pool already. Who knows? Yeah, these are the things we have to think about, now, aren't they? Gone are the days of thousands of spare engines, a spare chassis, spare drivers, the whole lot. Yes, it's um, straightened times, even for Formula One. And again, even if they did want to chuck loads and loads of engines at it and take penalties, well, there's the cost cap to think of as well. So a few people have made the comment of, well, the cost cap, all the cost cap breach and fines and things don't seem to have slowed Red Bull down at all. But where that will start mm. to have an effect will be later on this year and into next year it will be a long-lasting effect, um, a combination of the cost cap, breach, settlement agreement that they came to, uh, and as well their punishment, if you like, for, for winning the Constructors' Championship. They get far less wind tunnel time than anybody else anyway. So actually, if, if it does allow the rest of the grid to close up and then for the next couple of seasons, I don't know how long they keep this in, 10 years, 15 years, the slower ones catch up and just get close and then because the quicker ones have dropped back a bit they then go again and it just you know we we want it to be close but i think q1 there was um i think there was less than a second between all of them in uh, in q1 1.2 seconds between them all something like that so it's really really close 
spectacularly close actually so i think i think we're in for a good season i think we're in for a close season and um yeah keep putting a couple of quid on alonso to pull a win out i mean when i uh, when i chucked a few quid on it it was reasonably long odds but as the weekend progressed the odds got shorter and shorter and shorter so i did well chucking a few quid on when i did but yeah just just phenomenal to see him reinvigorated and and actually finally make a good career move I mean I think since his um move from Minardi to Renault which worked out well I, I don't think there's really been a career move that's been ultimately satisfying he certainly had some good years at Ferrari but for the sake of two points would have won two more championships but it's um it's, it's just brilliant to see a, a good move coming off fairly well and um yeah keep up to it Fernando so that's race one out of the way. We're off to uh, Saudi Arabia in a couple of weeks' time. Do you think it's going to be more of the same, or does the circuit differ enough that it might play to somebody else other than Red Bull? Uh, probably not. I think I was. <laughs> yeah, going to go with possibly there, but um, no, I think there's there there might be a. a bit of difference maybe ferrari uh, will be slightly easier on its tires there the uh, the bahrain surface is quite abrasive and, uh, and and unique you know bahrain in of itself is is a bit of an outlier it's not quite as extreme as starting the season with let's say monaco um, but it's, it certainly is an outlier in terms of track characteristics. But uh, Jeddah is uh, is different in uh, in track surface terms. But there's 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 a mix of fast corners and slow corners. But the Red Bull seems pretty good everywhere, to be honest. So my guess for the top step or two of the podium would probably be Red Bull again. But I think I'll put another couple of quid on Alonso for a podium because why the hell not? Although I suspect the odds would be slightly shorter. We shall be watching with interest, and uh, let's hope McLaren pull their fingers out and. Uh at least appear somewhere further up the table. I do still hold a bit of a candle for McLaren and would like to see him do a little bit better than they have done on uh, this showing. Yeah, I do as well. I do I do like McLaren. And the car does look good and the colour scheme is good. So it, uh, it would be good to see Lando um, have a slightly better car to show his, frankly, ridiculously prodigious talents in. So, uh, yeah, we shall see. <laughs> In other news this week, just to uh, change the subject totally, our podcast WhatsApp group is uh, normally sort of, it varies between uh, car-related chat, absolute random tangents, but then there's always the uh, the daily update from all of us, and I always think you can tell our bathroom schedules by when we all post our results <laughs> as to uh, to how we got on on the day's cardle, and then there's just, you know, it's always a bit worrying when David comes in with uh, got it in one, which is uh, more often than not the case. It's always nice when David posts that it took him two or three or four or even five goes to get it right it gives me a, it gives me heart and encouragement but uh you uh, you got it in one this morning and i got it in two because i'd spelled it wrong it was the um <laughs> the ionic yeah but it was there's there's a q and a thing and i think there's a few letters that aren't in there that should be there and a few that should be there that aren't and uh yeah we got we got to thinking about funny spelt car names so the ionic being one of them uh and and the cash guy kumquat oh. as we often call it kumquat. just how <laughs> I did, I did, it's the sort of thing, you know, I can't. It, if that was my email address, if I was the Kashkai product specialist at Nissan and my email address was Kashkai at Nissan, I'd still probably need to look it up every time as to, to how you spell it. It's in a long list. I mean, you you weren't in the minority today because um, on another car group on WhatsApp that I'm a member of, uh, other people said exactly the same thing, i.e. spelt it wrongly, insert expletives here. But uh, yes, exactly the same. I've been the geek that I... 
that I am, the car spotting geek. I can normally get things from car lights because that's my specialist sort of nerdy subject. But on this occasion, it was the, the dottedness that the Ionic 5 is so famous for. But yes, I-O-N-I-Q. So yes, throw away the rule book, everybody. Let's just make up our own words. Ionic. There should be a C in there. There should be a C in the word Ionic. Surely. Uh, ironic. Well, yeah, possibly. Yeah. There's a whole load of them. But yeah, I mean, just spell things properly. If you're going to spell it, spell it correctly so car nerds can at least pick it up but then you know such are the things that cardle is made of so that's that's what makes it fun i was quite pleased that i got it today but i do like that car anyway it's a it's quite a cool thing when you see i mean i've seen loads today possibly i'm more attuned to spotting them on the roads today because of it being on cardle this morning but it did strike me on a complete tangent that it'd be really cool given the dot matrix effect that the rear lights can do you could have it try and spell out words so if somebody gets too close to the back of you you can have back off or stop police if you want to play the game properly but it would it would be kind of you know some sort of scrolling message going across like you get on the either the back of police cars or in um slightly dodgy phone mending shops in the high street there's a trick for uh, hyundai if you've uh, not already patented that one or maybe that's on the cards it got us to thinking about uh other car names that were spelled weird i mean it's pretty much most of the skoda rangers got random Q's and K's, or you think, well, no, that should end with a K. So Kodiak, like the bell, that ends with a K, doesn't it, I think? Hey, Kodiak yes, bear, it does. But the Kodiak ends with a Q when it's when it's a car. So, And it's I get it, it's trying to be different or give it a unique bit of identity, but if you're constantly misspelling it, then does that... Does that hurt it, or does that add to the the mystique of it? You know, is it a brand name that's impossible to pronounce? You know, Hyundai, Hyundai. I think it made a big thing about how you actually pronounce it. So people just sit there going Hyundai, 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 and you think, well, actually, it doesn't matter because all you're doing is just repeating the name, and then you chat about it, and then it just human beings learn through repetition. So by the time you've finished, you've at least learned the word. So maybe it's just clever marketing. I'm not sure. I don't know if it's the case in America, but they used to call it Hyundai. So I don't know if they're doing the same campaign over there that they're doing here, albeit with a different word that they're trying to educate them out of. But I'd like to think that this is a global thing that they're trying to do. And it's not just us that are being told off for pronouncing it wrong, but it's um, Hyundai, Hyundai, isn't it? Or Hyundai. Hyundai, yeah, Hyundai. Hyundai. So it should have the yeah. as the uh, as the noise. Um, but I think, well, I suppose the, the classic example is Porsche and Porsche, isn't it? Or mm. uh, in uh, in the non-automotive world, you've got Nike and Nike, and it's a constant, oh, you pronounce it like that. So actually, maybe the perfect idea is have two different pronunciations, feed one out one way and one out the other. So when one person pronounces it one way, it makes the other person stop and think and you then have a discussion about the brand. And again, it's just, you know, advertising, you do think a lot of the times, you know, why do McDonald's advertise? They don't need to advertise. Everybody's heard of McDonald's, but it just keeps that <laughs> in your head all the time, doesn't it? Is that, are we allowed to do that? That's a co- That was a cover version. So that's, a, that's probably all right on the copyright, I suggest. And it's, uh, but it's, it just sticks it in your head and makes you think of it. This is true. There's no such thing as bad publicity. And there's sort of no matter how you pronounce it, as long as you are thinking of that brand, that's all that matters, really, isn't it? Well, exactly. Just thinking as we were talking earlier, another one that came to mind was, uh, and a misspelt, and obviously, and I think I could probably get you under the um, Sailor Goods Act, really, was the Mitsubishi <laughs> Charisma, spelt without the H, the K C A R I S M A. 
God, what a dull, boring car that should never have borne that name, no matter how you spell it. Yeah, and I think actually if you just type charisma into Google, it says, do you mean charisma, spelt properly, as you say, with, uh, with an H in it? And then it's not until you uh, you then stick in Mitsubishi afterwards and you say, oh, yes, I understand what you mean now. I mean, it was, um, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, not the most charismatic of cars, was it? But it's, it was odd because that was at a time when uh, Mitsubishi were knocking out the Galant and the, the Lancer Evo 3, 4, 5, 6, whatever they were up to at the time. And you think, you know, and again, Google says, well, didn't you actually mean to search for one of these? No, I think you want a Lancer or you want a Galant, one of the two. Gallant, gallant, gallant. Well, there you go. We're doing it again. And it was uh, just, yeah, it was, uh, it, it's, it's an odd one, that car. Is How can the people that came up with the Lancer and the Galan, how could they come up with that as well? Surely it's not from the same people. It does make you wonder if maybe there was an early version of, you know, how uh, Aston Martin had to rebadge a, a Toyota or a Scion IQ, a Scion if you're in the States, in order to sort of drag down their WLTP stats maybe there was an early form of you couldn't have too many exciting cars in your range and so you had to have a really dull boring one at the other end with an ironic title and that was uh, Mitsubishi's way of balancing the books where the uh, the Evo 7, 8 and 9 were concerned. Yeah possibly maybe just to uh, to appeal to a broad audience. We were lamenting the demise of the Fiesta many many podcasts ago or whenever Ford announced it and of course you know it got me thinking about well in the old days over the last uh, let's say, what, 20 years, Ford would do you pretty much any size of car with, at one point or another, pretty much any body style you wanted. You know, you had the KA, and you could have that as a three-door, you could have it as a convertible, you could have it as a sporty one. Um, Later on, you could have it as a tall one, as a five-door. The Fiesta, you could have as a three-door, a five-door in certain markets. It was in a, you know, a saloon as well. Um, Focus, three-door, five-door. Saloon, wagon, convertible, uh, Mondeo, hatchback, five-door, wagon, you know, so on and so forth. So, yeah, maybe it's just as as that range cuts down, then they need to come up with more and more interesting things to do on it. But but actually, I think we've just stumbled on one there as well, haven't we, with the Mitsubishi Galant? Because they spelt that wrong as well. There's only one L in the Mitsubishi Galant. Whereas in the word gallant, there's two L's. So there we are. I found one by mistake there. Well, this is true. And I was just thinking another one that you mentioned just now, the Ford KA or Ford Ka. Which is it to be? And as somebody who is in the trade with a connection to Ford, which is it officially? Or is there not an official pronunciation for the Ka stroke KA? Well, again, there, there never was. Technically, it's it's KA because it's they're, they're two capital letters and... KA, but again, it's, well, actually, that's the ultimate one, isn't it, that we've stumbled on there? If you can't even spell car properly, then that, that's surely the ultimate misspelling of a model name, where you've got the actual word of what it is wrong. You know, it's like coming up with a new breed of horse and sticking a W at the beginning of it, isn't it? And that means something totally different. <laughs> it's an odd one. It's an odd one. I've never known. I've always called it the Ford Car. But then, as as Gates has mentioned in the past, that gets confusing. He says it's a Ford car. Well, which Ford car? No, no, the Ford car. You know, is it the definite yeah. article or is it? Yes, it, more of the same. There's been some very stupid name for cars. Some wonderful things. Things like the Gaylord Gladiator. This is a a wonderful <laughs> sports sportster of the uh, of the uh, late fifties, early sixties. It's a very strange thing. American. You might not be surprised to learn. Um, one one that should have been a bit better, really, uh, didn't really translate because of the, the different 
the prefix to it, the, the Vauxhall Adam, which works much better as an Opal Adam because the name Adam was the name of Mr. Opal, wasn't it? Adam Opal. A bit like the Ferrari Dino or the yes. Ferrari Enzo. It, it yes. works far better because it's, oh yeah, that was, that was the actual person. Indeed, it was, and other other Ford names which haven't gone down quite so. Well. The Ford Probe. I mean, Probe's not something you ever really wish to uh, entertain, is it? But you know, I suppose Space Probe is a good use of the word probe. Every other use of the word probe I can think of involves some sort of unpleasantness and uh, aliens. Quite often, you don't see many of them either, do you? Uh, no, I think there's probably a reason for that. To be fair, <laughs> um, but again, Ford with the uh, with the Cougar because they had mm. the the original. Cougar that was spelt with a C and and supposedly like the cat, and then uh, over a number of years the word Cougar took on a slightly different meaning, and then they came up with a Cougar but spelt wrong, and it was their own model name, but they spelt it wrong because they then spelt it with a K. You think if you can't even spell your own model name correctly, then what what hope has anybody else got? But again, I suppose the the Escort. So when Ford decided to bring back the Escort and make it an SUV, are they going to spell it wrong? So how do you spell Escort wrong? The K. Z in it, I suppose, or something. Yes. Es- put a K escort. In it. Yeah, Escort. Something like that. Yeah. You can guarantee they'll have trademarked them all. They'll probably be sitting there somewhere. You can go through every single one that you're not allowed to use. Are they bringing back the Capri at some point? I did hear a rumour that that name Ooh, was Capri with a K. Off. Yeah. <laughs> with the, and a double E on the end instead of an I. Well, again, if, I think if you called it, it, if they were slightly better with the with the branding on it, you know, the mini, the mini E. No, call it a mini. That's, that's far better. Uh, the Capri. But get rid of the I at the end and put an E or two at the end. Actually, that, that makes a little bit more sense. I mean, the TV show I particularly enjoy at the moment, and I know you're not a fan, David, is uh, is The Apprentice. And there was a, the guy who got booted off some weeks ago. They had to market a new electric bike, and he called it the Cafe, so Cafe but with a longer E on it, Racer. Genius. Absolute genius. Because it spoke to the people who were into the cafe racer type bikes and whatever else, but it was a really kind of, it was like, that's bloody genius, that. And, and you know for a fact that I'd, I would be willing to bet Alan Sugar's already copyrighted that. If not the guy who came up with it should have copyrighted it, because otherwise it'd be a few bike manufacturers. That's a bloody good idea. And then hopping on to try and copyright it straight away. It was just a, a genius bit. So I think that if, if we're going to go from this old world internal combustion engine to new world and this, this is probably a whole debate for another podcast whether we're actually going to end up there by 2030 35 40 i don't know it's going to be 30 40 at this rate then yeah why, why not have a play on the old cars but put an electric twist on them just so it, at the very least it eases us in gently with a bit of nostalgia Oh yes, nostalgia. It's the thing of the past, but it's also a thing of the future if uh, we're going <laughs> if we're going by that rule. But, but yes, I wouldn't be at all surprised if Alan Sugar had already trademarked all of the things that are on that show. If you look at any trademarks or copyrights, a, a Mr. Sugar of Brentwood, Essex, has already stamped his name all over that with the word Amstrad. I should imagine, but. He didn't get where he is today by not doing things like that, so he can't really knock it. He's nothing if not daft, is he? So uh, fair play to the man. Pile them high, sell them cheap, make television programmes, repeat. He's done quite well out of that, I think. So anyway, I think you've probably heard enough of us tonight. We've been blathering on about Formula One and stupid car names until the cows have come home. I can see them returning through the uh, impending blizzard that we're expecting tonight. It's a very cold night. Sat here huddled over my computer. 
it's been wonderful having your company. Hopefully next time we shall be talking about more motoring-related fun and games, and hope you've enjoyed this evening's extravaganza. So thanks for joining me tonight. Jim, it's been lovely having your company. Uh, From me, Dave, I wish you a very good evening. And from me, Jim, it's goodbye. Take care. Talk to you next time. UK Motor Talk, a first-take media production.